All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Ocrats? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Elliot Gould, master movie star and actor from days gone by and the present time. Elliot Gould is here. I don't need to explain to you who Elliot Gould is, do I? Do I? One of the great actors of the screen in the 70s. Now he does much, a lot of TV work, some screen work. But when I was growing up, he was the best. He was like a movie star, man. Elliot Gould. And he did a couple episodes of Marin. One episode. I shouldn't say a couple. One episode. So we worked together, him and I as actors. He came by finally because honestly, well, I'll get into this in a minute. Anyways, we're a week and a day away from when Waiting for the Punch comes out everywhere. The the book is coming. It's exciting, people. Brendan and I uh, just want to thank everyone who's already pre-ordered the book. We can't wait for you to read it. It's exciting. And if you haven't pre-ordered the book yet, but you've been listening to me talk about it for the past few months and you've been thinking that you might get it, if you're a longtime fan of this show and want a great representation of what we do here, or if you're a new listener and you want to get an idea of what's been happening in this garage for the past eight years, if you have any inkling of getting the book, do us a favor and pre-order it now, like now. Hit pause, pre-order it now. Uh, this is actually a big week for the book, and pre-orders mean a lot in the publishing industry. It really helps stores decide whether they're going to order more copies of the book, which is a huge deal. So if you're planning on getting a copy for yourself or as a gift, go do it now at markmarinbook.com, and you can still upload your pre-order receipt to enter the sweepstakes to win a Casper mattress and a luggage set from Away. All right? And as I told you before, the book, the book looks great. It looks great. I'm very excited about it. So I did something kind of amazing. Like, look, is it amazing to go see live music? Sometimes. I just don't do things, as I've expressed to you before. But uh, I'll tell you, man, last week I had a, a real idol of mine in here. And I don't know if I talk about him much. And we, we recorded a podcast. You'll get that eventually. And you might not know this guy, but uh, John Hammond Jr., is one of my favorite blues performers, could be an artist, to be quite honest with you. And somehow or another, you know, we managed to, you know, he was out here, he's playing McCabe's uh, guitar shop down in Santa Monica, and he stopped by the garage. We had a great conversation. He's a real good guy, sweet guy, but he's a real deal. I mean, he's been making records since the mid-60s, and, uh, and he was playing down there at McCabe's, and I just ha- I had to go. I don't always go. I try to go more. I, a lot of times I just stop myself from doing things. I don't know why. But I'll tell you, man, I had these realizations about, especially acoustic music, because he, he plays uh, uh, an acoustic guitar and a national Dobro-style guitar, national uh, steel resonator guitar. Those are his two things. And he plays harmonica on a harmonica holder around his neck that he blows into with his face. And I had seen him years ago, uh, once or twice, and and he just sort of mesmerized me that he just summons this spirit of the blues, of the acoustic blues, that you just do not hear that much in a very honest way. There's no affectation about what John Hammond does. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of people who are about a decade older than me that look like they might have been seeing him in the late 60s as well. It was that kind of crew, some old hippies some old blues heads. But it was just sort of fascinating to to feel the power of straight up powerful acoustic music and realize that that 
that is the touchstone of the human heart there. You know what I mean? I was starting to think about the 60s a little bit, starting to think about, because I don't listen to a lot of acoustic music, but just when somebody is up there alone with just an instrument and wrenching the guts out of himself through that instrument, even if he's repeated it over and over again, he's playing slide guitar, he's blowing out those notes on that harmonica, and he's just pounding, man. He's just pounding that national guitar. And I tell you, man, it just really connects me with something. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. I don't know why. Like, Because I don't go see a lot of blues music. I don't listen to a ton of it anymore. I do tend to play it because I enjoy playing it. But I was listening to those old John Hammond records, and I just went down there, and I saw him. And, you know, I hung out with him and his wife, Marla, before the show, and it was just sweet. No big backstage scene. Just the three of us sitting there talking about the old days. And then he just got up there and just opened it up, man. He just opened up the valve. And that guy is a portal. And I'm probably going to repeat myself, you know, at the beginning of the podcast with him. But it's fresh in my mind that just the acoustic guitar, just touching those strings, and he's pounding them. Just how that vibrates into, into the sort of organic spirit of humanity, the acoustic instrument. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm like, look, I, I know there's other things to talk about. Our president's a disaster. Everything's horrible. He embarrasses us daily. But like, I just, I got out there and I just listened to some blues and I played some blues and uh, later, and I just, it, just, it just blew my mind this guy's commitment to touring for the last 50 years, to putting out 30 records, to relative obscurity. And, uh, and he still gets up there and he puts us all into it. It was inspiring. It was inspiring. That's what I'm trying to say. So I found it moving and I feel all right today because of that, because of John Hammond Jr. Go check that shit out. Check out the first 10 years of that guy's career. Go look him up. John Hammond, guitar, Wikipedia, Get all the, listen to those records from 64 to 70, 1964 to 70. All of them are great, but listen to those just to get started. You dig? How about some emails? Got a few emails. Pulling me through, subject line. Hey, Mark, I got out of the Marine Corps about a year ago and was really struggling internally with depressing and suicidal thoughts. This summer, I was introduced to your podcast by a professor that I worked for. Now, whenever I'm having those thoughts, I listen to your podcast and you somehow make it all better and the feelings go away. I've never told anybody about these thoughts because I'm not sure how they could really help me, but I'm glad that now I can escape into the world of your podcast and let all of my thoughts dissolve. Thank you so much for what you do, Austin. You're welcome, man. There's no better, I, nothing makes me more humble and grateful than hearing that man if i can quiet that darkness you're welcome buddy thank you for telling me that subject line all roads lead to new jersey good afternoon i was listening to your interview with tom colicchio today and i had what can only be described as a moment of serendipity at one point one of you made the comment that sooner or later everyone is from new jersey at the time i got a nice light chuckle out of it listening to two jersey expatriates talking about their family roots so cut forward to just now i studied history in college and have recently started obsessing over genealogy and my family history i'm sitting here in some off time going through records and making connections and there it is clear as day with enough documentation to make it indisputable my great 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 grandfather david elston senior born 1738 woodbridge lived much of his life in elizabeth new jersey 
So I guess you were right. Eventually, no matter how far back, we all wind up in New Jersey. Love your show. Can't wait for the book, Ryan. Yep, dude. It's inevitable, man. We're all Jersey genetically. Genetically Jersey. Subject line, Pete Davidson's gaping asshole almost got me fired. Hi, Mark. Thought you might get a good chuckle out of this. I'm a high school teacher. Yesterday, I was listening to the Pete Davidson episode on my commute to school, getting choked up about 9-11 camp. I get to school, pause the episode, put my phone in my pocket. A couple hours later, I'm sitting in my office with a few 10th graders and a female colleague. Out of nowhere, a loud voice coming from my pocket blares, I've got an asshole like a porn star. It's a gape. I fumble the phone in the air like a cartoon. Uh, it's a podcast. It's a regular podcast. It's about a 9-11. <laughs> I had no clue how to explain the comment because I had no idea how you got from 9-11 to Crohn's disease. I uh, had to do a lot of explaining. Thanks for the laugh, Roy. Glad to help out, Roy. Sounds like an exciting few minutes for you. Huh? What a day, right? What a day. All right, so Elliot Gould. Come on, Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould was in some of the greatest movies, I was going to say of the 70s, but probably ever. Uh, When I was a kid... I just I always looked up to Elliot Gould, a Jewish leading man, a funny Jewish leading man from the from the age of Jewish leading men. Well, let's 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 narrow it down to from the age of James Kahn and Elliot Gould and Dustin Hoffman, the Jewish leading men back in the day. Huh? But uh, think about it. Elliot Gould, MASH, Altman's MASH, The Long Goodbye, Altman, California Split. I believe that's another Altman. He was in Nashville briefly. He was in uh, uh, Capricorn One. Capricorn One. Harry and Walter go to New York. I remember that movie. That was uh, with James Caan. But Capricorn One with James Brolin, when he comes running after he finds James Brolin in the desert, the government couldn't kill him. Oh, man. That's good shit. Of course, he's in the Oceans movies. What He's done a lot of movies. All right? A lot of people love him for the long goodbye. Bugsy was in Bug- The Player but briefly, you know, look, I'm not going to list his credits because there's too many, but uh, but I was very excited to talk to him. One of his credits was he's, uh, he's uh, appeared on Marin, the television show, as uh, he b- plays himself, and he introduces me to, to my agent, played by the amazing Alex Rocco, who is no longer with us. I think that might have been his last role, but it was great working with him. It's great working with any of these guys. Great talking to Elliot Gould. He's in the new CBS sitcom, 9JKL. It premieres tonight and airs Mondays at 8.30, 7.30 Central. This is me and uh, Elliot Gould. Move that mic in a little bit for you, Faith. Oh, God, you're so bossy. I'm not bossy. I'm a little edgy. Why? That's, uh, part, of, that's part of your thing? Or no, you're, you're... no, no. I, I, uh, you know, I, I got off the nicotine. I was eating those nicotine lozenges. Um, you know, I haven't smoked in years, but I was eating nicotine. You know, Do you have lozenges. kids in the world? I have no kids. Do you have a wife? I don't have a wife. I've had a couple, but I have uh-huh. no kids. I did not put more of my genetic line out. I understand. How many do you have? Uh, I have uh, four grown kids and two grandkids. Four grown kids? You have, well, really, from two different wives. Three, three. Two, two wives. Don't and... get too far away from the mic. Uh, oh, okay. Thanks. 
because you're edgy. No, I'm not. Uh, I just uh, want to. I no, want to make and, sure. And one who I'm a biological father to. Oh yeah. So in the process of this, if I have to pee, we stop, or do I pee where I'm sitting? You, uh, you. We can stop. I mean, I've never had anyone pee where they're sitting. Uh, like maybe you can do that and tell me after. Well, no, but Steve Martin did in 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 the movie. He's so funny. Has <laughs> he? Have you worked with him? No, I haven't. I've never gotten him on because all he wants to do is talk about banjo, and you know he's sort of like he holds a line about it. He's like sort of like I want to talk about comedy. I just want to talk about banjo. And I'm like I don't know if I could do that. And I'm sure I imagine I could pull him around to comedy, but but he just uh, he wants to talk about banjo. You know, that'd be like you saying, I just want to talk about the Talmud. Do you want to talk about the Talmud? No. <laughs> I like the letters, uh, T-A-L-M-U, mud. Do you remember? I like mud. Do you remember we had a good, we had a good long talk. Oh, great. Uh, back in the day. Back when, in, when, when was it? When you worked with me. When was it? It was, uh, was it? You can be specific. Was it like three Since years you, ago? I don't, I For like Marin? to be specific. I, I remember it. Yeah. It, we, and I wasn't sure about when we did that scene with were, that po- fabulous actor. and uh, uh, Alex. Alex Rocco. The great Alex Rocco. Wasn't he great? He was so great I'm to so work with. I'm so happy to. to I, I don't even know if I ever met him before. That was great. It was a good time. It was fabulous. He was so good. When did you start the acting? Where did you grow up? Oh, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. I was conceived in Far Rockaway. Far Rockaway. Uh, How'd you get that information? Because uh, how do you know where you're conceived? Uh, because my parents lived in a house of the Posners. There were three families. Uh-huh. There were the Posners, uh-huh. the Goldsteins, yeah. that was me, and the Greensteins. And we, my parents lived uh, in, uh, it may have been Beach 126th Street, but that's where I was conceived. Uh-huh. And then I was born and brought up in uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And this is the show. We're doing the show now, aren't we? Is yeah. this part of it? This is the real show. Cool. Yeah, I mean, real, real is a good idea, isn't it? I try to. I try to do it. How are you being real good? Uh, I've, I have found recently that what's true and what's real is not necessarily the same. Right. Uh, to me, yeah. uh, what's uh, true is life. Yeah. Uh, nature is true. What's real, sometimes we make it up. And and that can really... Can, can I be colloquial or You're sometimes sure. say, well, it's going to like fuck me up? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, in terms of sometimes I could be involved in something that's not real and that really fucks me up. It takes me a lot of time to uh, <laughs> get my get oxygen here. But, it's, but that, that's also kind of your job. Now you're talking about responsibility. No, I'm talking about acting. I'm talking about responsibility. Okay, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Because I find when you mention something uh, in terms sometimes what's funny is yeah. sad to me. Yeah. And what's dramatic is fucking hysterical to me. So you, you're growing up with three families in Brooklyn? No, I grew up close to, uh, to families, but my mother and my father, all they had was me. Yeah. And, and that was... Uh, what was motivating me so i was extremely because they didn't seem to get along i'm sure they got along well enough to have me but uh and and talk about responsibility but so when i was uh, nine years old yeah i was extremely uh, repressed inhibited and uh i didn't know how to communicate and so i was taken to a song and dance school uh in in new york to break you of those not to break that. My mother would talk about breaking habits. And I said, <laughs> and now I could see it all. I mean, I said, you don't break me of anything. I'm not a horse. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I mean, what you have to do is embrace it right. and really care for it and love it so it can evolve. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to break it. It'll just prop up. It's like 
No, no, no. You're not breaking me of anything. Well, the caring and loving, enabling someone, uh, nurturing someone and enabling them to evolve was not uh, part of uh, some parents' uh, mode of operation. I, I still love them for it. Yeah. Uh, actually, my uh, one of the, f- the families, the, yeah. uh, there was uh, Eddie Posner. He was born three months before me. Yeah. Then me, Elliot. Yeah. Elliot mm-hmm. And then Stevie, who was my very closest friend. Uh, he was born three months later, and Stevie became a psychiatrist. Still your uh, friends? He's dead, oh. but yes, he is. I'm I, I'm close with his uh, his children mm-hmm. and uh, his grandchildren. Oh yeah. yeah, no, no. These this is old a family. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, okay, so he's born. You're born. So you're... now he became uh, successful yeah. in a psychodrama uh, for families, and he said to me in, in the latter part of our time, uh, he said, uh, "How could you be so forgiving?" And I said, "Who am I angry at?" And he said, uh, "Your parents." And I said. Oi, gave me an opportunity. Uh, Why am I angry at my parents? And he said, because you were so exploited, used, and manipulated. And I said, I don't deny anything that you think or say, but I would have thought you were going about your work the same way I try to go about my work, which is scientifically. I I was my parents. I am my parents. To blame my parents, I would say to myself, how could things be like this? How did things come to this? Right. You know? And I understand it. They did the best they could. So you you uh, you you took responsibility as well. I took it all. <laughs> you took the hit. Well, it's worth it. I mean, you know, yeah. I have a daughter that's more than everything to me, uh-huh. and she's the mother uh, of my grandchildren. And she and Andrew, her husband, are the first happily and functionally married people uh, in my family since the families came from Eastern Europe. Oh, so they did it. Yeah. Success. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Where did you uh, start actually doing the gig of actor? The gig of actor. Uh, I mean, did I went to song and dance school. Yeah, right, oh, and then yeah, after no, that, and not to act. I mean, I was a tap dancer. How were you? Did you uh, Did you know Christopher Walken? Very well. Do you ever dance with him? Uh, no, but I acted with his brother, uh, Ken. And Christopher and I, he's the only one that uh, followed me from that group of younger people. Yeah. I mean, he's Hungarian. His family uh, owned a, or may still have a bakery uh, in Long Island. They do? His, uh, Watkins family still has yeah, a bakery? Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Christopher, I saw him in Baker Street. He was also in the chorus where I, st- well, I started singing and dancing in like vaudeville with kids. Uh-huh. And and then he, I saw him in Baker Street, which was a musical about uh, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and uh, he was great. And then, of course, in Pennies from Heaven, and and talking about Pennies from Heaven, Bernadette Peters was my first student. Her mother brought her to me, and I I, I gave her a routine to Honey Bun when she was ten years old. Really? Mm. What did was she from the neighborhood? No, but I was working. Uh, actually, you know where the David Letterman used to have his show sure. from at it, Sullivan Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was uh, uh, right underneath uh, where, where there's a uh, on the first floor or the second floor. Yeah, uh, when you see the picture of the marquee. Uh-huh. That that's where there were uh, studios called the Goldfarb Studios, and they could be rented. Uh-huh. And so Charlie Lowe, who was an old vaudevillian, and, and we put him on a Saturday Night Live with me, so you could see him, because he they they then taught me the time step and the hop hop and the strut, and it's <laughs> yeah. not what I had in mind. You know, it's really not what <laughs> for, I had in mind for your life. 
or for uh, yeah <laughs> i know but my rationale because i've been thinking yeah. forever yeah was uh that if i could memorize a routine uh-huh. that perhaps if i could memorize it i could communicate through that which i had memorized yeah okay so and i i remember Almost everything. So you mean you you thought about that retroactively, or you think that now? Like I mean, at the time. Oh no, retroactively. But I do remember. uh, I have my conscious, my first conscious memories were uh, fourteen months old Mm -hmm. on the boardwalk uh, in uh, Far Rockaway. Even though we lived in Brooklyn, we would visit. It was a nice uh, beach. Yeah, and. Posner walked. He was, as I told you, three months older than me. But then Greenstein walked before me, and my parents were freaked out that I wasn't walking. I'm 14 months old. You should be walking. But, but of course, Posner and Greenstein were blood relations. Sure. Uh, The father of Posner was the brother of the mother of Greenstein. Yeah. And and so that was the moment that I found my balance. Uh-huh. Because how can you walk without balance? We take everything for granted. Yeah. We think that what we think is is the truth. We only make it the truth. It's not necessarily the truth. And so I remember this like the, in the moment that uh, I was standing there. My parents were there. Someone took pictures too. Yeah. That's how I know exactly what the date was. And I was looking through the railing yeah. uh, on the boardwalk over the beach over the ocean yeah to the horizon yeah i found my balance i found it by feeling it right i i this i'm balanced i don't know what balance means but i feel it now then i know i'll walk don't push me too fast you just had to find your balance I had to find my balance, of course, and not even knowing what what is it, you know. I mean, expectations are are, not, are sometimes not very healthy. They're no security is terrible. Sure, yeah, yeah. Expectations. So then I remember they're when killers. We, we lived at sixty eight hundred one Bay Parkway, Brooklyn, four, uh-huh. New York. Uh, the phone number, if you want to go back and call me, was Beachview two five five two four. We can call you. You can call me anytime. How's it going? Around. Yeah. Yeah. Are you walking? Uh, if I call, uh, yeah, is yeah, little yeah, Elliot there? Is this he walking? Is, uh, uh, yeah, and so uh, uh, th- I'm, I'm there, and we had a, like a, a chair. We, my yeah. father was making twenty dollars a week, and uh, doing what? Um, working in the garment center. That's what he did. Yeah, Schmata guy. He also played. Uh, he used to play ball. He batted right and mm. fielded left. Mm-hmm. Bernard Goldstein, mm. and he was a great guy in the league. It, 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 at school, he went to no. New Utrecht. Sure, you know. And what did your mom work? My mother, mother became a comparison shopper at Macy's. She was brilliant and really talented. What is that? What is that? I don't know that job. You you have to go and see what's selling. If you have some products, yeah. who's selling it for the you know for right. that? Now you, right. we got computers, so you don't have to send people out. Right. Yeah. But she was a pre-computer comparison shopper. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. And very talented. She had a millinery shop, Lucille. Lucy was my mother. Ah, good names. And Lucy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so then there I was, like, uh, in, a, in a chair, like around two-ish. Yeah. And so I obviously, uh, no, I'm sure I, I walked. And the two of them, Bernie and Lucille, were standing over me. And, and they said to me, and I quote, mm. you don't know how to feel, and you don't know how to think, and we'll tell you. And I thought... 
not only don't I know the difference if you say so, I, I don't have a problem, you know, okay, I don't know how to feel, and I don't know how to think, and you'll tell me. Mm, that's not right, uh, but that's true. They said it in those words? Exactly. Like it was a, I'm telling you the words. The, 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 I, I, would, would you ever forget that? And then the other <laughs> the other statement was one of them, it may have been my father, and said, yeah. and you won't ever have better friends than us. And I thought, you're my gods, yeah. so uh, f- if you say so. This is know. a two. Yeah, they're laying about it down. two-ish, two-ish. That's some two-ish. heavy. That's a heavy rap. Well, you can understand that sure. in terms of laying claim on it. You know, I mean, how people you said also about there's being cons- up. concern. You know, and 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 yeah, you know, for that your, may grow up to be the way I am. That's right. Right. Yeah, so, we, you know, we don't want you to be the way you are. We want you to be the way we want you to be for your own good. And for our, and so we won't be scared. <laughs> so we won't be replaced, or so you know, or whatever. Right, yeah. yeah sure. Right. Right. So, so you tap dancing. So, well, so then I go into song and dance school, and my rationale, the same kid, baby, that's thinking, okay, I, I mean, I don't know how to feel, I don't know how yeah. to think, and isn't it depressing? My parents don't know how to love one another, and they stayed together, and I slept in their bedroom, not in their bed, for my first 11 years, until we moved upstairs to the third well, floor. You slept I, with your parents till you were 11? I didn't sleep with them I know in it. the same room. Why are you yelling at me? I, I mean, uh, well, I, the, I heard Because, you. I mean, I know we how you same, are. We were in the same room, yeah. but was there another room available? Or no. That, okay, all right. No. No, okay. no, no. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so I, I went into song and dance. And now I'm 12. And uh, I've done some Milton Berle shows. What was, you, you were part of the chorus? Or you did uh, a group dance? of kids. Yeah. They were kids. Uh-huh. You know, and then they once put on a show because, you know, he was an, a superstar on yeah, television. Big. So you do some Milton Berle shows. But, like, I'm trying to, like, I, I remember you as a, I'm 53. So when I was a young kid coming into my own, you know, you were, you know, you were a big star. That's and that's interesting, isn't it? It was well, no, you were the guy, like, right? So, like, there were movies I remember seeing that were odd movies. When I look at the catalog of movies that you did, like, I remember, you know, Mash, obviously, but I remember Harry and Walter go to New York because I love James Caan, I love you, I love D- Diane Keaton. We, don't we all love Diane Keaton? Of course. Yeah. But there was that that period in in Hollywood history where you know the Jewish leading man. I get. I understand. But 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 well, let's go back. So so when do you start doing movies? When do you start sort of becoming? Okay. Okay. Great. Um, Charlie Lowe, Song and Dance. Yeah. Uh, Twelve years old. I play the palace. I play the palace uh, as a, uh, a participant in somebody's act at the palace for uh, a big uh, show there that also had a movie with it, a show, tw- Acts of Vaudeville, the first anniversary of the return of Vaudeville to the palace. This is May of 1951. I'm 12. Uh-huh. And, and you're uh, on the show. I'm in the show. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a delivery boy that, that the, the opening of the act yeah. of, for Bill Callahan is... Uh, when there's a blackout of the yeah. act before, and the act before was Smith and Dale, yeah. the original Sunshine Boys, right. Joe Smith and Charlie Dale, and I had to be in back of the house and watch Dr. Cronkite uh, four times a day for two solid weeks. Amazing. And that's what the Sunshine Boys was based on, these, yeah. these two guys. Now, the, the blackout, a beat, 
two beats, and then I'm coming down, telegram for Callahan, <laughs> telegram for Bill Callahan, and I'm walking down to the conductor. Yeah. Telegram, and the conductor says, where are you going? What do you have? I said, I've got a telegram for Bill Callahan. And he said, I'll take it. And I then say, and now there's a music, a downbeat uh, of a song, which is I'm dancing and I can't be bothered now. Yeah. He, uh, he said, he'll take it. I said, no, I have to give it to him myself. And I go to the stage. I've got some stills of this, and I'm saying here, and you see, I say, Telegram for Callahan, paging Callahan, and then there's a scrim where there's a silhouette, and you see him, and he's a very, very attractive male, manly guy who could really uh, dance, and he says, I'm dancing and I can't be bothered now. I do it three times, and I'm off, and now I've got the last dressing room at the palace, and people would come in because it's the first anniversary of the return, and I met so many people, a guy who you may not know, who you should know, although I'm not into shoulds, a guy named James Barton, Uh who was a great, he created the part uh, uh, in Paint Your Wagon on the Broadway musical that Lee Marvin did in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lee Marvin was yeah. great. Yeah. This is James Barton. Yeah. And he was there. Bella Lugosi came. Sure. I got his autograph. Yeah. Yeah. Milton Berle came too, but I had already known him. Yeah. And uh, I did it $50 a week. I was going to Seth Lowe Junior High, and that was interesting and fun. And then I went to the professional children's school, and I met some other people, including David Carradine, who we became really good friends. Uh And then I felt my parents had put so much into giving me this road to where I am that I wanted to see if I could fulfill, because we had no money, and I didn't know anything. I graduated high school. When I was in kindergarten, they told my mother and me that I had a little bit of extra intelligence because I was the only one in kindergarten that knew that I didn't know the difference between my right and my left side. Because everything to me, and it still is, I, I can I can conform, but I don't like conforming unless it's necessary, that it's all one thing to me. Right. But this is something that you always felt, or? Oh, great. Therefore, I told you about being 14 months old. I told you about being yeah, about two years, two years at old. three and a half. Yeah. And that's about it in terms of my literal memory of things that were going through my head that I... I mean, to know something doesn't mean to understand something. Sure. I, mean, I didn't read, I didn't write. Uh, that I knew one night I woke up, I was three and a half, uh, and of course very disturbed, but my parents did not know how to love one another. Yeah. That was, to me, blew me away. You felt it. I knew it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand it, nor until now could I accept it. Didn't sound acceptable to me in terms of being begat and all of that. And what? And my thought was, and I was so scared, yeah. or a scared, yeah, right? a scared, a scared, sure. so a scared of the dark, yeah. which I, I understand now, that everything had been written and everything had been read, and that fame and fortune really had no meaning, and if there wasn't peace and harmony, I was going to have a lot of problems. <laughs> you knew that at three? Three and a half. Oh, good. I knew that. These are all very important. These The 14 months balance, two years... Uh, no, 14 months balance, yeah, two, two years. years they're trying, uh, to, they're trying to, to shape me, Yeah, <laughs> and I don't trust it. And then three years, got to find harmony or else you got nothing. Peace and harmony. So, when what was your first film role? It was called uh, the Confession. I played a deaf mute, 
uh, with uh, Raymond Land and Ginger Rogers. You worked with all these great old actors. Oh, no. The director's name was William Dieterle, and he directed Charles fucking Lawton in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Really? Charles Lawton. Blows me away. Yeah. He's to me like the precursor to Marlon Brando. He's yeah. a sensory genius. Yeah. And so I'm a deaf mute. I have no experience. I mean, I was, uh, let me see, by that time I'd been in the chorus. Yeah. Uh, uh, Barbara and I had already been married. Really? You know, so I was no longer a virgin. And uh, uh, yeah, now it's called on late, late night television, Quick, Let's Get Married. When did, when did you get married? How old were you when you married Barbara? 25. And she was? 19. No, no, she was uh, 25, so she must have been, let's see, this was 1963, she was born, she was 21. Uh-huh, and you met her when, on stage in, in a yes, show? Yes, yes. Yeah? Yeah. And you guys still, you talk. God, she's the mother of our son. And how's he doing? He's great. Oh, good. He's, a, he's so decent, and he's divine. Oh, good. So, okay, so you do the mute with no training. The deaf mute. <laughs> the deaf mute. And my first shot. Yeah. My first shot. Uh -huh. and, and my partner in it uh, 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 was a guy named Carl Schell, yeah. Maximilian and uh, Maria Schell's brother, who was going with a woman from Col the Colgate who was financing this picture uh -huh. on the island of Jamaica at the same time that Dr. No and High Wind in Jamaica were being done. And this is at the time uh, called The Confession. And I, I, I want to act. I didn't know how to act. I'd never been in a movie. I'd done a little television. How'd you get cast? Uh, they they introduced me to a guy named Victor Stoloff, yeah. uh, uh, who was uh, casting and assisting William Dieterle, uh -huh. oh, who, right. came, who came to America with Max Reinhardt, and they collaborated on A Midsummer Night's Dream, which starred James Cagney and Mickey Rooney. Wow. And, uh, and so he cast me. And in my first shot, I'm supposed to be drunk, and it's not done in sequence. And I'm sort of acting like a method actor or something, because I'm supposed to be drunk, and we're we're, we're trying to rough up this, uh, yeah. uh, you know, this uh, guy, the yeah. Raymond Land, and I'm like that. And 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 somebody behind the camera, who's the sound man, says cut yeah. he walks to the director and points to me said he's breathing too loud just like you and when i was doing that with your with your computer right and i thought I, I don't know i don't breathe right how will i ever fucking learn to act you know <laughs> that was my first experience but did it were you taking acting classes no no there was classes probably i did i went to lee strasberg a couple of times yeah no thank you i went to see uh Oh my God, Stella Adler, yeah. because she'd worked with Brando. Sure. And I thought, I, I don't know how to act. I don't know what to do. And I went to see her. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I made an appointment, and she was teaching a class. And I went up, walked up to her, and very quietly I said, I'm playing the lead in a Broadway musical, and I don't know how to act. And she said, Speak up, she said. Speak up. Why is it that uh, American actors uh, uh, mumble and don't talk up and British actors? And I thought, I'm not going to be here, you know, and f go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, I, you know, so, but uh, she was great. I have a great friend who's going on 103, Norman Lloyd. I mean, who worked in the group theater, worked in the theater of action uh -huh. uh, with all of these people, including Stella Adler and and her husbands and her family. Uh, she was she was great, but 
I didn't. That's not what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I mean, theatricality, uh, it was interesting. Well, what did you want? How did you end up figuring I out did, your craft? I told you what I wanted when I was doing a half piece in harmony. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and, uh, I mean, I have to please. Through my mother, the darkness. Well, to, through the, bar, to the darkness, yeah. yeah. You, one has to because it's dark inside. I know. Yeah, and that's where I live. Yeah, I know. Well, you feel, I yeah, but you know, you're keeping everything pretty well arranged. Well, it's I, I never gave up. <laughs> yes, I never I, gave up. It is you yeah. a lot of resources. So I, I said to I, I thought you were going to say research. Yeah. A lot of experience. Experience, you know, yeah. sure. And I I totally believe in modesty and humility. I mean, to, with all my heart and soul. So, how did you ultimately learn how to act? Just by doing? Yeah. And, and then, like, uh, I, I guess the big break was with the, the Mazursky movie, right? That was a first, because in Bob Carroll, Ted, and Alice, yes. I found my first objective relationship, mm -hmm. which was a camera. Mm -hmm. Again, literally, because each of the four characters uh, had a fantasy. And Diane Cannon, who at the time was uh, Cary Grant's uh, wife, and she's, we're friends, we're friendly. She played my wife, and her, her character's fantasy was that every man in her mind wanted to dance with her. Yeah. And so Mazursky staged a scene, Tucker and Mazursky, Larry Turker, who was his partner and collaborator, yeah. staged a scene with about three or 400 male extras, me, and Diane Cannon. And then of her union regulations, I'm a union person. I really appreciate and love the union. Yes. Uh, we had to break for uh, like, you know, for five or 10 minutes and everybody left uh, the soundstage uh, as usual. I had no place to go, so I stayed. They turned the lights down, they left the camera where it was, the set, the set was there, lights are out, and I thought, oh, the camera doesn't give me problems. I give me problems. The camera uh, uh, will never manipulate me, will never lie to me. They will only report what I'm doing. My first objective relationship, my first friend, uh -huh. you know, the camera. So that saved me. But so that then, alone time with the camera turned off in the dark. For the, you had that moment, the realization, when the camera was yeah, resting. And what the camera is, what it represents. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't mean to, sh I didn't want to just jump over that. You worked with Friedkin too. Uh, Billy Friedkin, yes. I recently had dinner with him and his fabulous wife, uh, Sherry Lansing. Yeah, he's uh, been in here. And yeah. you did that the night they raided Minsky. Yes. And Bert Lahr took me home. Bert Lahr took you home? Yeah. He well, he gave you a ride? No, we went home. He had a ride, but I mean, he brought me home with him. We, <laughs> he, he was great. <laughs> what was that about? Did you hang out, talk? Bert Lahr was such a great actor, great comedic actor, great comedic actor, yes. and this, he died in the picture. We didn't we didn't finish his role, oh. and so I mean I'd be there. I I I love us. Yeah, and then I mean he was great. He was a hypochondriac uh -huh. also. Yeah, and when the, when his dresser would be dressing him, he would fart in the in the in the dresser's face and get hysterical, and so he t I went home with him one night. Took me home. He brought me upstairs. I think they were on Park Avenue. Yeah. And he said to his wife, look what I brought. <laughs> he was great. <laughs> and uh, then what happened? I sat there. I, I saw him. And I maybe had a glass of water and yeah. said hello to his wife. And I, I went home with him, oh, you yeah. know, and then left. Uh -huh. Nothing what, what happened. <laughs> it was you know, exciting. He, huh? like uh, everyone else, died. You yeah. know, we all, we are, we're, we're all there. I, we're getting there. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, and then, uh, but Friedkin at that time, and that was that his first? Uh, no, he had done a picture with Sonny and Cher, 
and uh, he's a he's something else. That guy. Yeah. What is he? He's a he's he he you know a little different in how he formulates the narrative of his life. You know, when I talked to him, you know, there was the the an element of fate ran through it. He's of a, what? Fate, 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 fate. That you know that things had him uh, they that they happened for reason. Uh, you know, when he tells his story, and I sat here with him for like two hours, and, you know, he'll string the story through, you know, at things that happened. Oh, he's and- such an asshole. I mean, you know, Billy Freakin <laughs> is an asshole. He's very bright. He's talented and all that. His wife is great, yeah. but he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> but he's one. Of, he's a good one. He's a, he did some good pictures. Sure. We had dinner. I saw him at my friend's going 102nd birthday, uh-huh. and he was pitching somebody from one of the big... Uh, 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 independent yeah. uh, channels or something. He yeah. was wanting to do a, a movie, uh, no, uh-huh. a ten-part uh, series based on his uh, movie that he did, which was based on an, a play called Killer Joe with Matthew. McCormick. I know that one, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I wasn't crazy about the picture. Uh-huh. And Billy and I played Killer basketball. Joe. You didn't love it? No. Uh, 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 I think uh, Matthew McConaughey is really good. It's probably a great play. Maybe it is. I don't know. Killer Joe. There was a guy in the Catskills where I also did tap dancing and stuff. His name was Killer Joe Pyro. He danced the the mambo. He was great. Killer Joe Pyro was great. Killer Joe the movie is not great. And I would be willing to see it again. You know, but then Billy said to me once I said, oh, a 10 part series, that would be better than the movie. And I didn't know that he's talking business. And I'm there at my friend's 102nd birthday. (laughs) And then he said to me, Billy said, you had a drug problem. I said, what the fuck is that? I said, no. Barbara said the same thing. We never did drugs uh, together. I never had a drug problem. I had, I, I've said it on national television. I had a problem with reality. And now that I accept it, it's my friend whether I like it or not. I always want to know where I am. But believe me, because Barbara said the same thing to I me. Had I said, a drug problem? We never, I didn't have a drug problem. You know, I had no perspective. I had no judgment. But I didn't have a drug problem. What was the drug? Uh, life. Oh yeah, which one did you Liberty. enjoy? When I did, yeah. uh, uh, I, I, I would smoke some, uh, some weed. Uh, weed. Yeah. yeah, not a coke guy. No, I, I mean I, I had experimented with that. I don't like it; it dries you up. Didn't like it, and I didn't like what it did. Uh, what I saw it do to my wife with my wife, not good. Mm-mm. Not good. Sigmund Freud, I think, used it to get off of heroin. I never did heroin. No, no good. All right, so the the mash thing, because when I talked to you when we did my show, there was, you know, the conversation was interesting because we, you, you know, now, you know, we were talking about Time Magazine. We were talking about, the, you know, what you, what I perceived as, uh, you know, the image of you to the public now. And, and then, the, you know, the, 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 the sort of blasting off of the career and the ego and, and how you dealt with that. Oh, ego, one of my worst enemies. Ego and vanity. No, thank you. Did, but when did that happen? I mean, how- in the process of me uh, getting here, you know, mm. me getting here. Well, okay, so let's talk about Mash. I mean, I've talked to a few people that work with Robert. Well, prior to doing Bob Carroll and Ted and Alice, I uh, uh, auditioned for a play by Murray Shisko called The Way of Life. Yeah. That was uh, uh, being directed by Alan Schneider. Yeah. And being produced by. Uh, 
uh, one of the brothers of Angela Lansbury. Yeah. And uh, I remember Ron Liebman was a great actor. He was auditioning for it and I auditioned for it. And uh, then I did Bob Carroll, did Alice, found my relationship with the camera. Yeah. Did really well. I was fortunate to be in that movie and then went into rehearsals for A Way of Life. And uh, they uh, fired Alan Schneider and they brought someone else in. And... Uh, and then I went to rehearsals, and as far as learning the words and doing it, mm-hmm. Murray Shiskel, who had written Love, and who I knew, very close to Dustin Hoffman, um, he said to me, why can't you be as good, we're getting to up to Robert Altman, yeah. why can't you be as good in rehearsals as you were when you auditioned for us? And he said, because when I auditioned for you, I could show you what's possible for me to do with this, but I've got to structure a, 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 a performance that's going to, I'm going to do eight times a week for you, and I've got to be able to be uh, comfortable and uh, like uh, uh, Sterling Hayden said to me, hand in glove uh, with uh, with the material, with the words. And so I, I now know I'm going to have to get a haircut <laughs> because I let myself grow out. It's great to, to grow out. And I went to rehearsals. And I know I, I'm going to know these words by our technical rehearsal. And the door's locked. Oh. And I think to myself... I'm not supposed to be locked out of rehearsals uh, at, at this time. How could they fire me? Yeah. I better get a haircut. So I went to Carmine's to get a haircut, and at that point I was starting to produce because that's what I really thought I would do, to yeah. produce. produce. And then when you get to Ingmar, I'll tell you what he said to me yeah. about directing. And so now they, uh, and Brodsky, who was my late ex-partner, he came and was there, and it's a two-chair barbershop, a mirror in between the two chairs, yeah. so there's a chair on the other, uh, uh, a chair on the other side, and a chair where I'm sitting. And uh, the phone rings, and it's a guy named Mark Merson who was uh, representing the producers, and he said, uh, "Now they just cut my right side off. I no longer have long sideburns. Yeah. They've cut." And and he says to me, uh, "I don't know how to say this, but uh, uh, it's just not working." And I said, oh, wait a minute, don't talk to me, talk to, uh, call right. my agent, yeah. don't tell me what work, what's working and what's not working, but I wish you'd called me uh, five minutes earlier, uh, because now I'm going to have to cut the other side <laughs> off to, uh, you know, to, to be even with me. And uh, so that, that was that. And so I came back out here to Los Angeles and was asked to meet Robert Altman, who was uh, preparing to do a movie called MASH. And I met Bob at Fox, and he gave me the script, just the two of us, and then I read the script, and I came came in and Bob said to me, how would you feel about playing the American Southerner, Duke, Tom Skerritt's part? Yeah. I said, uh, I've never questioned an offer, uh, but because uh, all I want to do is work, but uh, I'll, I'll be very intense. I mean, to validate me as an American Southerner, I could do it. I have a musical ear. I could do it. But this guy, Trapper John, if you haven't cast Trapper John, I got the juice for it. I got what that guy, what do you want from that guy? He gave me the part. It's like he let me cast myself. I got the juice for it. Yeah. You knew that guy. I know. I am that guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Donald Sutherland, the comedic dynamic between you and Donald Donald Sutherland is is something to behold. Oh, that's so kind of you. Because Altman said, have lunch with him. I want you and Donald to have lunch alone in the commissary. And I thought we had lunch at yeah. Fox. We're both cast now. Yeah. And uh, and I didn't know Tom Scare at the time, but I'd never met Donald, but I saw Donald in uh, uh, A Dirty Dozen. Yeah. And I'd seen him maybe in a horror movie or two. And we dozen. sat down, yeah. just the two of us, and yeah. I felt right away at the beginning, yeah. he, he didn't like me. What? There was somebody, I don't know, you know, whatever. But we became just, it was just the two of us yeah. and Bob and everyone, except we were working for Bob. But we were like, 
uh, just the two of us. And that was great. We became quite close. You and Sutherland. Donald, yeah. He played a part uh, for me because I produced Little Murders. It's really good. I just saw a review, and I'm not into reviews, uh, uh, for Little Murders. Do you know Little Murders? Uh-uh. Jules Pfeiffer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was uh, uh, shot by Gordon Willis and operated by Michael Chapman. And uh, Donald is the priest. And Alan Arkin directed it. I produced it. I had done the first stage production of Little Murders. It's fabulous. I, I, I think it's worthwhile. Norman Lloyd, my soon-to-be 103-year-old friend, brought Jean Renoir. You know Jean Renoir, yeah. swear, right? Uh, the, the Rules of the Game and the Grand sure. Illusion yeah. to see it at a screening when we were opening up, and, and Jean wrote a letter to Alan Arkin. It took uh, 35 years for Alan to share the letter with me, but, I mean, Pfeiffer is fucking what you, brilliant. What do you mean it took him 25 years to share the letter? Some of us don't know how to share. Uh. I work with Cher. <laughs> yeah. She's great. What a beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah. But Alan Arkin, are you okay with him? Of course. He's so good, isn't he? Oh, yeah. It's funny. But now I want to see this movie. I'm mad. I I didn't know you you produced it. Jack Brodsky's your production partner. And then we also, the other thing that we uh, produced Mm. was everything you always wanted to know about sex but was afraid to ask. For Woody. Well, we gave it to Woody. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, because I was so successful in that, but I had other people doing it. I, I, I've never done business. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had told, and I read someplace that it supposedly Ingmar Bergman said I was difficult to work with, and that's not true. But I can talk for Ingmar. Well, what did you do? I was impossible. I was impossible to do business with because I didn't understand myself. So I couldn't do business with us. Well, what, did you, what were you going to tell me about Ingmar Bergman in terms of what he told you about directing? Oh, he said to me, when you direct, and you will direct, you mustn't act. And no matter who's doing it or who's done it, you'll understand. And then I came back to America and uh, talk about rolling the dice. I thought I was in charge, and I went way beyond uh, boundaries, and I didn't know I had no perspective and no judgment, so I had to give a lot up. When was that? 1971. Yeah? After MASH? Well, after MASH. The, but after when the what about was it after the Time Magazine cover? Yeah, yeah. The Time Magazine came out on September ninth, nineteen seventy. Yeah, uh, the day that yeah. I I went to Stockholm to to be the first one of us to work with Ingmar. And this is, so you're you're like you're you're feeling it right. Things are rolling, things are happening. Time Magazine. <sighs> Bruce Dern is a friend. Yeah. And uh, he said one of the things that meant a lot to him, because uh, uh, yeah. Jackie uh, Nicholson said to me that I would never dunk a basketball. Right. And uh, uh, I dunked a basketball once, and, and I was uh, <laughs> uh, driving, and he was running on San Vicente, and I, I pulled up and I said, Bruce, I dunked a basketball. Yeah. I was able to do it. Do you miss the time? No. <laughs> I'm in, I'm curious about what time you're thinking about because to me it's all one time, you know. I laugh because like whether you mean it to be funny or not, I find it uh, me? funny. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Why not? What's funny? That's great. I wouldn't mind dying I, die laughing. You know. I'm not going to die right now. Okay. Well, how do you know? You didn't. Uh, there you go. Right now we is a long it. time. Yeah. yeah right, right now is forever. It keeps going. But what do you, when you say that like uh, you know that. Did you? Were you humbled? Oh God! Nineteen seventy-one. Humbled? Oh my God! Yeah. Oh. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, I, I'm more than humbled. I paid for everything. <laughs> yeah. I had to find out. Yeah. I had to find out. I knew, I, I mean, I thought I knew. That's when I said, you know, to Ingmar before I left Stockholm. Yeah. I said, I don't know that you know what, how things are in the United States, you know. And so I had chosen the director for the next project. What happened is the the material was taken and, and What's Up Doc was made from the material, but that was nothing to do with what I wanted to do. What were you doing? Uh, I was doing something that was called at the time A Glimpse of Tiger, and the way I saw it, it was The Little Prince in uh, urban uh, America right now, yeah. and I was the aviator, and the prince is this girl. And I didn't know that I should have tried to cast my wife, Jenny, and and I cast, I wanted to cast Kim Darby, and I said to her, it's going to be difficult, I've never done this before, to be playing a part, and this is a different part. I'm a very, the character can be really frightening, it's just like this. And so if, if you get frightened, or you don't understand where I'm coming from, just say, time out, put your, make a tea with your hands, call me over to the side, I'm like... A doll. I mean, I, yeah. all I, I need you to be happy, secure, and comfortable. But uh, she got, she was scared, and I didn't know that I was way beyond limits uh, in terms of the comprehension of the people I was working with. Because I put my heart, and I, I, it's my life, you know. And the, and the movie didn't get finished. Or it did? No, no, it didn't. Then they made What's Up Doc, which was profitable. The, the yeah. movie was never made. And I paid for everything that was spent. Uh-huh. Mm. And that was the beginning of the humbling? Yes. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. That was the humbling. You know. Yeah, and that was seventy uh, two. Hum, hum, humbling. That was uh, seventy one. And then I even had Carradine and Barbara Hershey came to stay with me for a while, and he had two dogs, and I loved Carradine, and I felt guilty. Look at Carradine and the Carradine family; they're great American actors. And what, look what I'm doing. How do I get in this position yeah. to do this? But I mean, there was nobody really there with me. Jenny was there, but I can't say that she understood, and I certainly didn't understood. But I, I and I didn't know that I didn't yet have the right uh, to create. I thought that I could. And, and so I had to pay for it. I had to find out that there are boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm fine with it. I paid for it. But then you went on in like Altman. Well, then Altman, yeah. there Robert Altman, he, he, he for, at first, now I'm just a guy, a, a union man who's uh, looking for, uh, to continue to make, uh, make a living with my family. And, uh, and so Peter Bogdanovich, we thought was going to direct The Long Goodbye. Right. And uh, uh, David Picker was running United Artists and he was like friendly with me or like a friend. Yeah. And so I went to see him looking for a job and he gave me the script of The Long Goodbye that was written by Lee Brackett who had collaborated with William Faulkner on uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart's uh, uh, The Big Sleep. Big Sleep yeah. And I read it and it's old fashioned and, and it was like he called it a pastiche. Ah. I like candy, you know, pastiche yeah. like chuckles and dots and stuff. That would be pastiche to me. Yeah. And so uh, I said, sure, I mean, you know, and then Bogdanovich couldn't see me in it. Or, or whatever, I was told by the head of the studio. Yeah. He, he had an idea that Lee Marvin or Robert Mitchum, I said, they're like my uncles. Yeah. I can't argue with them, but we've seen them. Yeah. You haven't seen me. And I understand Peter. It's Peter's picture. So Peter's off the picture, and I get a call from Robert Altman, uh -huh. who's now been put on the picture. 
And Altman calls me from Ireland. He was doing a picture called Images with Susanna York. And he says to me, I'm, in, I'm at 58 Morton Street in the West Village. And he, uh, and he says, what do you think? And I said, I've always wanted to play this guy, Philip Martin. He said, you are this guy. That was the beginning of the picture. <laughs> Can you imagine? You are this guy. Bob, oh my God. So it's okay with me. That picture, oh my God. It's an American jazz piece. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, thanks. Uh, there's a sequel to it. And Bob, at, with MASH, he yeah. called me because Donald and I complained about him. And and we complained because I'd never worked that way before, you know? And yeah. I, I understood. Which way? Repetition, uh, improvisationally. Yeah. I've never worked leaving the script. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, so I, I mean, he gave me, uh, and I took a lot of it, uh, gave me the room and the space to live. Yeah. You know, but, and he said two things to me, Bob Altman. Once he said to me, uh, why can't you be like someone else? And we had just broken for lunch and he was having a difficult, he was having a problem. Bob uh, oh, had had problems with management sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I had my lunch on my tray. I hadn't ingested it. And we were at the ranch, the Fox Ranch in Malibu. And he pointed to one of the terrific guys from the committee, from mm -hmm. the improvisational group sure. in San Francisco, Corey Fisher. He said, why can't you be more like him? And I started to shake and I threw my uh, my, my lunch up in the air. I said, you cocksucker. I said, I'm not going to stick my neck out for you again. I mean, I came, from, I was in the theater. I, I, I'm a tap dancer. I'm a chorus boy. I understand repetition and I understand precision. Tell me what you want and that's what you'll get. I'm not going to stick my neck out. He said to me then, I think I made a mistake. I said, I think so. He said, I apologize. I said, fine, let's carry on. And at that moment, the people, the production crew from the next picture, which was getting straight, yeah. uh, uh, that was Richard Rush's picture, came because we were going to have a meeting. One other time, he says to me, because we're playing poker, and I played poker uh, for a, 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 almost all my life. It took me almost all my life to realize I'm not a very good poker pay player because I can't represent something I don't have. Right. You know, but bluffing sounds good to a kid. I'm going to bluff you. Yeah. I'll bluff you. And so there's a scene, and a lot of the guys didn't know how to play poker, and I'm putting energy into this, and I'm in character. And he said, I can't keep my eyes off of you. He said, I, it's distracting to me. I said, don't look at me then. I'm always in character. I'm Look at me when you see the film. I'm in concert with everything else that's going on. If you go, see it before you kill it, I'll, I'll, I'll die happily. And he came to me the next day, Bob Altman, and said, "You're right." But he published <laughs> me as being published me as being his enemy because when we complained, he thought we wanted to have him fire. We being Donald and me, and that we couldn't get him fired. We wouldn't, but we complained because I didn't know how to work like this. Yeah. And then we met with our agent, and then Bob allowed us to reshoot uh, one part of a scene. And from there on, I couldn't do McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Warren is a friend. I love Warren. You know, great what? movie. Oh, great. And and Bob offered it to me. And and uh, he said to me, and I said, no, I couldn't. I had to do I Love My Wife uh, at Universal. It's the only Universal picture I did. And, uh, and he said, you're making the mistake of your life. And I said, well, it's not my life yet, Bob, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and you can't take away that, uh, uh, that that I was you know your your first choice yeah. and and I'll look at the picture sometime and say oh my god what a masterpiece <laughs> and meanwhile Warren and Julie Christie they're so beautiful yeah. you know and that's great that's really great it would have been interesting but I don't want any woulda coulda shouldas here you no know? but you came back around you did the long goodbye you reinvented
invented Philip Marlowe. You oh. got to work with Sterling Hayden. Oh yeah, Sterling. Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden. That's and a, you know that the 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 cottage yeah. that his character Roger Wade was in in the picture. Like, where what I is go, that Malibu? Or was it right no, on that? No, that was it's like near. Beach, right? uh, 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 oh no, no, it's. But that was the actual. Uh, that was in Pasadena at uh, a real place. That was a real place. The no. whole place was real. That wasn't a set. Oh, I thought. Made, wait, where was the beach show? Wasn't there a beach? That scene? was in Mal right, Shore, sure, yeah. where where his character drowns. Yeah, yeah. The, but the cottage yeah. where I find him yeah. is the exact is the cottage where W. C. Fields lived the last part of his life. He lived in that cottage. W. Fucking C. Fields. Okay. Over here in Pasadena. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So, Sterling Hayden, what did he lay on you? At one point, I went into Pasadena because I had a little time when we were working yeah. at that place. Yeah. And I went into a shop and I found a set of checkers with swastikas on them. Mm. And I, I said, can, is, can I buy them? I still have one. Yeah, uh, I'll send. Uh, I'll give it to you. No, you don't. Okay, I don't have to. Whatever. I, I don't. Again, I told you. I, I want you to keep it keep it thank you uh and so i came in and, and there was again sometimes bob could be not as we progress but this was the long goodbye because yeah. bob also said that i scared him in the picture because he would give me so much room yeah and there's even more because soderbergh had asked me about a scene where i put uh ink on my face and i'll tell you about that but so bob was a little difficult and sterling said to me is the old man giving you uh is making it hard on you uh i said a little and he said vamp just vamp and vamp means holding time just hold just hold it because it worked out great for us and even in the scene where sterling's character drowns bob had asked me if i thought we could do that scene that was uh, scheduled to do for two nights in one night. Uh -huh. And I nearly drowned. I really, really, really drowned. And I was there because we waited for a high tide. And I played basketball all day. And even at that point, I mean, in terms of conditioning and stuff, uh, with Nina Van Pallant and Bob said to me, Nina Van Pallant's going to beat you down to, to the beach. And I thought, I don't think so. I think it's important in terms of what's ever left for men. I mean, we should be able to get down there. I mean, unless you want her to, tell me you want her to, but otherwise I'll get down there. Yeah. I'm in pretty good shape. Now we wait for high tide, and I run into, and I take off my tie. Because when we tested Nina Van Pallant, that's where I was able to get my wardrobe, that mismatched blue jacket and pants, the simple white shirt, and a tie that has American flags on it. And you don't even ever, ever see it, but that yeah. was my message. Right. You know, uh, the American. We, we can revisit the American, too. And so I'm running in. Not even knowing it's not Sterling out there. There's a property man who had once swum back from 14 miles. And I'm just this kid who would go to Coney Island and, uh, and, and Rockaway and play in the surf. And I love Sterling. I have my shoes on, my jacket on. I, all I do is give her the tie. And I run in to get to where the waves are breaking high tide. And I have now losing it. And, and I look uh, up where the cameras are and the lights and they're like little peas up oh. there. And, and I want to go down. And my voice in my head, first time I ever heard it, says to me, Elliot, you can't go down. 
there's no one here to bring you back up. And I had to pull myself out and then get back. And Bob came to see me, you know, because then I had to take a, a hot shower to do it again. And we did it again. It was so scary. I mean, I almost died. I mean, I, if I had gone down, there was no one there, you know. Yeah. I, I, I may have drowned. So, but Bob Altman, it was like my father. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Oh, so great. Soderbergh says to me on Ocean's Eleven, where we've got the whole gang together now, and Clooney's going to tell everybody what we're doing there. Yeah. And uh, now it's about one twenty in the morning, and we're at a house that was owned by Jerry Weintraub, who was the producer. Yeah. And uh, and I'm tired, and I don't like being tired because then I'm I can be a little vulnerable. So uh, and I this is vulnerable. Yeah. And so. Uh, uh, at one twenty, I've got my little scene that I'm looking forward to with Matt Damon, and uh, and and everybody's there, and it's about one twenty at night, and 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 Soderbergh walks up to me and he says, "The ink on the face, just like out of nowhere, yeah. the ink on the face was that Im- an improv," and I'm thinking, "What the fuck? What? Huh? I mean, I'm d- about to do this scene for us, and uh, I think, oh, 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 okay, I had it, and we say the same, the long goodbye. I said, yeah." The scene where I'm in jail and the police, the fascist police are roughing me up and, and I've got my fingerprint stuff on and I put it under my eyes and the cop says to me, this isn't scripted. He says, what are you doing? You know, I said, I got a big game. I got a big game. And then I went even further and did uh, uh, Al Jolson. I said, yes, it was. Was that behavior okay to you? He said, yeah. He said, but it was so unexpected. I said, that reflected Altman's trust in me because I mean we hadn't rehearsed that it I was just I'm going with it like now I said but so if I had stopped with that stuff on my face it would have cost us about 20 or so minutes in production time and that's what movies is about time management and money <laughs> yeah so that you know I really really oh Robert Altman and we went on to do more and and there was more that we had planned including uh, uh, the sequel to The Long Goodbye so um, one other thing, because we obviously we could talk for hours, and and I know you have a new TV show, and you've worked and you've worked oh, yeah, with friends right. of mine, no you've done millions of friends movies. of yours. Who's friends of yours? John Mulaney, I know. I love John He's Mulaney. Great. I have to make contact. Noah Bombeck was in here. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I, for his first picture, does, yeah, Bar- exactly. does he like me? I don't know. Okay, that's honest. Great. Um, he should, I think. How could he not? Uh, you know, I don't know Soderbergh, but he loves oh, you. Oh, he's great. So this new show you're on, you you enjoy doing television? Are we? Are we? I are you okay? Work. You just oh my god, work. I'm like it's even more humbling. I mean, you know, we have a. It's a process in a certain period of time. Yeah. The show was uh, conceived and written and executive produced and starring Mark Feuerstein and his wife. Dana Klein, she's a genius, and uh, we now uh, on Wednesday uh, uh, in a couple of days yeah. uh, uh, we start our fourth segment, and uh, after every take, because we ha- we do it uh, in front of a live audience for the last uh, when, when we've got it all done, yeah, uh, uh, they rewrite, hmm. and so whoa, I mean, talk about humbling, it's great, and Linda Lavin is. Oh. Great, so funny, huh? Yeah, and there's a uh, 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 Walton, David Walton. Uh, he's terrific. Mm. Uh, he plays my younger son, and uh, Liza uh, Lapera. Uh, she's in it and plays David Walton's wife. And there's a fellow named Matt Murray 
who uh, uh, plays a very good part. He's very, very talented. But uh, And so, I mean, the work is, is amazing, and I'm so grateful. I, I'm all in. I thought, okay, I mean, I, I do this. I mean, it's about the family. Uh, you, you tell me what's funny. I don't sell anything. I couldn't, you know. I mean, <laughs> like sometimes somebody will stop me, may stop me on the street, yeah. you know, and say, are you serious? Yeah. And I can now say I don't have to be so serious any longer. Yeah. I know I'm honest, and yeah. it's taken me forever to get here. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting journey. I mean, when I saw you do the, you know, the Oceans movies were, were must have been a great thing for you. It was great. Did it work all with all those guys and just to have that kind of that camaraderie? Don't you like the big cast of the fellas? Oh, it's great. Clooney's a great guy. I love Brad Pitt. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. And we, of course, we lost uh, Bernie Mac. Uh, that yeah. was bad. That was bad. It was, I'm, I'm in Ocean's 8 with the girls. Yeah. Do you know of that? Uh-uh. You don't, What's Sandra that? Bullock. Oh, oh it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it's the same. Stephen uh, is uh, producing it, and uh, Gary uh, Ross is uh, directing it, and it's Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Rihanna. Wow, geez, uh, that's uh, exciting. Ha- You're Helen in that. Bonham Carter. I played the same guy. I'm Ruben You're Tishkoff. You're the guy. Well, I love talking to you. I think we got a lot. Well, that's good. Thanks. And Do you I, feel I, all I right about okay. it? If you feel all right about it, I do, feel great do, about do you it. edit it now? Do you edit it or I, you just play I, it I, as I, it is? That's what my producer does. Oh, I remember okay. we talked about an, uh, that some, was there a big sort of arc that we, I remember we, there was some undercurrent that we talked about where you had said something that offended somebody and you thought it had repercussions that lasted years. During my uh, process of humility, uh-huh. Tony Harvey. The director who I behaved terribly with. Mm. But I I said to Tony, I I want to test, I want to do this in preparation as Ingmar does his work. We test things. Yeah. And the time, it's it's just perfect for us. And when I got there, Tony was already with my crew because they'd done Little Murders with me. I'd like you to see Little Murders. Yeah, I'm good. I said, give me a chance to be, just to come here. Yeah. This is my life. You're the director, but you're directing before I show up. And I've got to be able to see where I am because I've always had a problem with authority. Mm -hmm. And so I screamed at him. I I behaved badly. Mm -hmm. And he walked off. And then that night, I didn't know anyone. I knew two two, uh, producers, David Merrick, the great David Merrick, who produced me in the chorus and then produced I Can Get a Few Wholesale, where Barbara and I met. And he, David Beagleman, the agent who I had loved, who wound up killing himself, there was then Ray Stark. So I said, ask him to come because I need somebody to tell me what to do. Now I've got, I've caught everybody with their hands in the cookie job and they don't understand me. They don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And this is my life. Understood now. I, I could teach a course, perhaps, in stardom. I could find some institution that would make a new course so I could talk with people in relation to who anybody is, in relation to what it is that we are. So Ray came down, sitting by my desk, and I've got people there, and I just wanted to uh, exhibit all this stuff that I've uh, the way I am. And Ray said to me, what do you want me to do, jump out the window? I was on the first and foundation floor of this building that I wound up not buying, and that's where I lived. P- 
Peter, his sole son, had jumped, or fallen, but jumped out of the 20th story. And Ray said to me, what do you want me to do? Jump out the window? And I said, no, we lost Peter that way, and I don't want to lose you too. And that was the end of my career. I knew I'd gone too far. All I needed was to just hear, to listen selectively, for Ray to have come down there, for him to say to me, what do you want me to do? And then cut. Okay, Ray. Okay. Tell me what to do. Tell me I'll do it. I mean, I'm more than just a professional. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do you want me to do? Jump out the window? And uh, I mean, I said, no, we lost Peter that way, and I don't want to lose you too. Sam Cohn, who was a big-time agent, Meryl Streep's agent, big, big, big-time yeah. agent, was there. He was going to be my connection uh, with uh, yeah. uh, in New York. After about mm, eight seconds, now we come back to Abner Costello and totally, slowly our turn, he says, you can't talk to Ray like that, which then got Ray up on his feet, came around my desk, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to let this cock-sucking motherfucker throw a punch at me yeah. because he doesn't understand where I'm coming from. And what I said, I'm saying that life is more important than anything, than any fucking movie. Life, you know, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and the whole concept yeah. of what it is we think we're doing here. And he walks around. I back up as, as far as I can to my, the armoire uh, where my mu music components, and at that point, I was very agile. So he throws a punch. It's the only time anyone ever throw. I hope I, we're not uh, inviting people to come and throw a punch at me, right. but it's okay. And 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 uh, I sort of was very agile, and he sort of missed and was down then down on the floor. And he I, fell. I, huh? You were down on the floor. He no, fell. he wasn't. Yeah. he wasn't. I mean, I, I, yeah. I could step aside, yeah. and then I stepped over him, and I thought, oh. Ooh, ooh, no one has ever tried to uh, really hit me, to hit me. And so I oh, we had people take him home. We became friends afterwards. But I went too far. And and, and you, you see what I'm saying. He had lost his only son. What do you want me to do, jump out the window? No, Ray. N no, but I, not to break anything you know, but his, personal. Who, his son had jumped out of the window? Yeah. Not my window. Right, but well, that's what Ray was saying. What do you want me to do? And, jump out the window. And Ray's position in show business at that time was he produced the way we were. Yeah. He was Barbara's producer. Ray Stark was Fanny Bryce's uh, son-in-law. We became friendly. Ray was. But do you was, think that that exchange, that moment, that was it? it that was it. That was it. Because then also, I couldn't compromise. I had to find out for myself. What, am I going to be afraid? Here's big, and I say it to the universe out there, anybody who thinks they want to be here and, and be a star or be somebody, is that in relation to what we are, don't allow your identity or your success uh, inhibit your growth or understand what it is because it's so acutely political and it's all about money and position and identity so that was that was i didn't work for uh, about a year and i i was told that uh, they they had psychiatrists look at uh, uh, briefs that other people, without my being examined and said I was crazy and, and for me to get back to work on the long goodbye I had to meet a psychiatrist Judd Marmer he was and he said you know you, that you exhibited poor judgment and I, I, I took a moment too and I said yeah if I had judgment I wouldn't fucking be here you know and so it, it's all right it's all right, and I, I need to continue to practice humility. I've, I've, I've thought about writing, and I've told you more than everything that I've told uh, anyone about this, but that's the truth. 
You know, that's really the truth. And my crew, I mean, would love me. I mean, if I had been able to play the game, Cosell was a friend of mine. My father couldn't stand Cosell because he bought into Cosell's act. And Cosell had me in his room uh, that he was uh, 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 interviewing Ira Burkow from the New York Times. Yeah. And he said, you know, uh, I said, I got to go. He said, no, 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 I want you to be here when I interview him. I said, this is his interview. I don't want, he said, this is my room. This is my interview. I, I really want to call Ira because then also Howard wanted to bring me or offered to bring me to meet Ted Williams with him because he was going to see Ted Williams. Yeah. You know? And and uh, uh, Ellie, his wife, said that there was only uh, uh, one other person be- that she had asked for an autograph for the family, which was Muhammad Ali. Uh. And the night before the first Fraser fight, Jim Brown brought us to, uh, to meet Ali. It was a Sunday night in New York after 10. He had different uh, rooms and different suites. This was the Americana Hotel. No one there. Yeah. Jim Brown, uh, Muhammad Ali, me, Jenny, and a guy named Vic. And, and Jim whispered something into Muhammad's ear. And Muhammad looked at me and he said, you do what you do as well as I do what I do, which was my second best review ever. And I think I may have told you my first best review. Which was? Groucho Marx, after I changed uh, a light bulb over his bed, yeah. he said, that's the best acting I've ever seen you do. <laughs> All right, man. So you know I'm not acting. I know. Well, thanks. This was great. I hope I great see, to see you. See you again. All right, that was uh, the amazing Elliot Gould. Nine JKLs on tonight. And there's Mondays, 8.30, 7.30 Central. Don't forget to pre-order Waiting for the Punch, Words to Live By from the WTF Podcast. It comes out next week. But go buy your copy now, and you can enter to win a Casper mattress or a three-piece luggage set from Away. Go to markmarinbook.com to pre-order and enter. And on Thursday, we have a special show for you folks. There's no audio book of Waiting for the Punch, but we're going to take the entire first section of the book and turn it into a podcast for you. So that will be a little unique peek at the book on Thursday. Dig that. Now I'm going to play some loud guitar. Got to put my earplugs in. Boomer lives.